What if I told you that every single worldview or religion could be put into two categories? That's right, just two. What if Hinduism, Buddhism, Mormonism, Satanism, Islam, the New Age, atheism could all be put into one of two categories? The Apostle Paul gives us these two categories that we're going to explain today. And when we understand these two categories, we will be able to put every single religion or worldview neatly into one of these two categories. And it will make our evangelism and our witnessing so much more effective. So let's hear from the words of Paul in Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, Paul is going to instruct to us how we can get all of the 10,000 different religions in the world and put them into just two categories. Now, we think about that. That'll make our evangelism very easy if we just have to remember two things. Romans chapter 1. Paul, writing to the church in Rome here, he begins by talking about how God is revealed to everyone, and yet not everyone follows him. Romans 1 verse 18 we'll begin with. Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, For God has shown it to them. So he says that God is going to judge those who suppress the truth. Imagine, you know, you get a big beach ball and you try and push it under the water. What will it inevitably do? Pop back right up. And this is what these people are trying to do. The truth of God is so evident. It's so obvious. And yet these people are trying to suppress this evident truth. Verse 20. For since the creation of the world... God's invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image or an idol made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanliness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. So Paul here, he says, really, you have two choices, that either you follow the truth of God or you follow the lie. And he says that the truth is to worship God as the creator. And the lie is to worship the creation. So rather than worshipping the incorruptible God, worshipping creation. 
And we're going to give two names to these worldviews. The first we will call oneism. And oneism is quite simple to wrap your head around. It just means all is one. That is to worship creation as God. Or to worship anything in the created world as God is to practice oneism. And here's how it works. If all of creation is God and God is in all creation or is all creation, then all is one and all is God. Or in other words, there is no distinction between God and his creation. God is his creation or he's in it, whatever it is, the divine is found in creation. We worship creation rather than the creator. And the very convicting thing is that every single religion or worldview, apart from Christianity, fits into this category of oneism. Or we could call it a oneist religion. A worship of the creation with no distinction between God and what he has created. So the summary of oneism is that all is one. God is all. God is all creation. All is one. And in contrast, Paul says that the truth is twoism. That is, there are two things. There is God and his creation, or the creator and his creation. These are two distinct and separate things. God is not his creation. Or likewise, creation is not God. God and, the crea- God and his creation are two different things. And this is the category that Christianity fits in and is the only true example of twoism. So how easy is that? We get all 10,000 religions in the world and bar one, we put them into oneism, that all is one. And then Christianity stands as the only religion that worships God as the creator and refuses to acknowledge or to worship anything in the created order. But so we can be a bit more informed, let's analyze oneism a bit further and then we can understand the challenges within it and how we can evangelize and witness to those who hold a oneist worldview. As we said, the main thrust of all oneist religions is this, all is one. Everything in the universe is connected, everything in the universe is divine, It all shares the same divine substance and therefore all of nature and creation is to be worshipped, which you'll notice conveniently includes human beings. Now, this may sound a little bit complicated, but I assure you, you're all familiar with this concept because all of you have heard of a very famous story set in a galaxy far, far away. That's right. One of the driving aspects of the classic Star Wars films is that the heroic Jedi Knights can use the Force. We're all familiar with uh, the the wise Jedi Obi-Wan Kenobi telling Luke Skywalker, use the Force, Luke, use the Force. And here's how uh, the Jedi explains the Force to Luke Skywalker. He says, the Force is what gives a Jedi his power. It's an energy field created by all living things. It surrounds us. It penetrates us. 
It binds the galaxy together. So the force is something that is in all things, including humans, including everything that you can see. And if the force is this divine substance and the force is in all things, then everything is divine. There's nothing that isn't divine in this kind of worldview. And as I said, that's just a a common example that many of us would be familiar with. But let's now look at different religions and how they work. For example, within Hinduism, there's a belief in a substance called Atman. The key deity, we could say, in Hinduism is a being called Brahman. And the goal, the one goal of Hinduism is to become one with Brahman. The goal of Hinduism is to cease to exist and unite one's soul, so to speak, to Brahman. But they also say that within each person is this this divine, this divinity called Atman. And the way to become one with this God is to realize that the Atman inside an individual is exactly the same as Brahman. Now, Brahman is the chief god in Hinduism, and yet Hinduism teaches that if you want to become one with Brahman, you just need to realize you're already there. You already have the divinity inside you. Atman inside you is no different from Brahman. And once the Hindu realizes that Brahman and Atman are the same, they can be released from this physical body and they can go become one with Brahman. Notice there's this emphasis on you become one with God. The divinity is in you. You just need to awaken that divinity and become one with God. Gnosticism was much the same. It was one of the earliest um, heresies that the Christian church had to battle. And the Gnostics said the exact same thing. They said that within each individual person is a divine spark. So again, this idea that the divine is in the human being, or we could say a force, it's in the human being. And the Gnostics said, if you want to become one with the universe, you have to realize that the divine spark is in you. And then you can be released from this physical body and you become one with the universe, or you become one with God, so to speak. Another example is the Japanese traditional Shinto religion. And within Shinto, they believe in something called kami spirits. They believe that in every single object, there is a spirit called a kami. But if every single object in creation has a spirit or divinity in it, then all of creation has to be divine. Think even of the Mormon religion. Mormonism teaches that the end goal of all humans is to become God. In the Mormon faith, you will eventually, they say, receive your own planet to rule over and you become the god of that planet. And then you create beings that you want and then they become gods and so on and so forth. And the motto of this idea uh, from an official Mormon source is this. As man now is, God once was. As God now is, Man may be. That just sends chills down my spine reading that. This idea that God was once just an ordinary man. And that just like he did, you too can become a God as well. 
And this, this idea is common throughout all re- world religions and worldviews, that all is one, that all creation is divine, and that there is no distinction between God and his creation, whether that's because we have a divine spark in us, whether that's because there are spirits that dwell in all things, or whether that's because we're on our way to ascending to godhood. It comes in lo- lots of different shapes and sizes, But the end goal is always the same, that all is one, not two. Now, if this idea sounds familiar to you, it really should. Because this was the very first lie that Satan ever told humanity. When he went to Eve, what was the promise that he gave to her with the fruit? You can be like God. You get to be God. And this is the lie that Satan wants to believe. He wants to sit on the very throne of God. He wants to, he wants to be the one in charge. And so if anyone's going to believe in this lie, it'll be Satan because he, of all people, wants it to be true. And it's the same lie that he tempted humanity with. Wouldn't you like to be God? Is there really any distinction or difference between God and his creation? Why can't you as a created being take the place of God? Why is there any difference here? Now, a big problem with worshipping nature or creation is that you can't have a personal or intimate relationship with it. And you'll see this throughout all of the oneist religions. There's no personal relationship with the divine. For example, in the New Age, people will meditate, they'll use crystals, they'll do all sorts of odd practices but they have no personal relationship with the divine because the divine is in them. You can't really have a relationship with yourself, can you? The same is true for Hinduism. Uh, You can worship Vishnu or uh, Shiva, but you don't have a personal relationship with these deities. Christians are unique in that we sing hymns to God. No other religion sings hymns to a God. There can be chants, there can be songs, but they're never directed towards God. Christianity is unique in that we don't just chant or sing for the sake of it. We sing to God to worship him because we, there's a personal relationship there with God. We can also pray to God. Prayer is unique to the Christian faith. Some people, yes, will recite things, but again, there's no uh, ability to share how you're feeling with God, no ability to make requests of him or to glorify him. It's just as Jesus would say, you know, endless blabbering, just uselessness. And if we think about all of the ancient pantheons of the old world, Egypt, Greece, Rome, Canaan, Babylon, Assyria, all of the gods of these religions had no interest in humanity. You don't get to have a personal relationship with Zeus. You can't pray to Baal, you don't, uh, you know, have a, a, a close connection with Thor or Horus. These gods of the other religions had no interest in the affairs of humanity. And in fact, they were often antagonistic towards humans, if anything. And so when we adopt a oneist worldview that teaches that everything is divine, including yourself, you deprive yourself of having a personal relationship with God. Because you're forced to either have a relationship with the divine in yourself 
or it's the divine in a bush or an idol or some god like Zeus or Thor who does not care about you at all. And this is the lie of oneism. This is the very lie that Satan tricked humanity into buying into. What if you could be like God? So how important is this message then of oneism and twoism? I'd say it is the very basis of the Seventh-day Adventist message. We believe that God prophetically brought up this church to preach the three angels' message. And the three angels' message is predicated on the idea of oneism and twoism. Let's read the message ourselves in Revelation 14. And this is our final text for this morning. Revelation chapter 14. What does the three angels' message teach us and how is it related to these two worldviews? Paul says you only get to choose from two. Oneism, twoism. You worship creator or creation. Revelation 14 verse 6. We're going to hear the first angel's message. Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation, tribe, tongue, and people, saying with a loud voice, Fear God and give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. And worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. So the first angel's message is to worship God. But why are we to worship God? What is the reason given in the text? Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. Worship God because he is the creator. He is the creator. And we know Revelation 14, it, uh, it borrows language from Exodus 20. And the Sabbath commandment in Exodus 20 where it says, For the Lord God made the world in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. So we keep the Sabbath because God is the creator. And then the three angels' message is, is an, an appeal to worship God by keeping the Sabbath. So here the angel says, We worship God because he is the creator. Or we're, we're preaching a message of twoism. There's God the creator and there's his creation. And there's a call for that creation to give to the creator the worship that is due to him. What then are the last two angels' messages? Verse 8, another angel followed saying, Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city. Because she has made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Then a third angel followed him saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image... And receives his mark on his forehead or on his hand. He himself shall also drink of the wine of the wrath of God. Which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation. He shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels. And in the presence of the lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever. They have no rest day or night. Who worship the beast and his image. And whoever receives the mark of his name. How does this relate to oneism? The last two appeals of the angel of the angels is firstly, get out of Babylon. It is fallen, that great city. And thirdly, if anyone worships who? The beast and his image. Or in other words, created beings. 
The beast and the image are not the creator. They are creations. They are just part of the natural world. And because they are not the creator, they are not to be worshipped. That's what Paul says. We either worship God as creator or we worship a lie by worshipping anything in creation or in nature. So the second and the third angel's message is really stop worshipping the creation or stop holding to a oneist worldview. The oneism system eventually leads to judgment and its effects are eternal. Instead, there is a call to abandon oneism and instead adopt twoism. Worship God, understand the distinction between God and his people. And you'll notice it says that Babylon has made all the nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Fornication or adultery was, is used throughout the Bible to indicate a breaking of the covenant relationship with God. When God's people would worship idols or created things rather than him, he said, you're committing adultery on me. You're, you're cheating. You're, you've, you're breaking the covenant relationship. And here, this is exactly what Babylon does. Babylon takes people away from the worship of God and causes them to commit spiritual adultery or spiritual fornication by promoting instead worship of the created order, whether that be idols, whether that be ourselves, uh, whatever it may be, Satan, Babylon, is trying to distract people from worshipping God as the creator. So really, the message of tourism is incredibly beautiful. Because it says that there is a God distinct from his creation that you can have a relationship with. He's not a bush. He's not a cow. He's not the sun, moon and stars. He's not in you. God is separate and distinct from his creation. And because he is distinct, you get to have a personal and intimate relationship with him. That's something that every other worldview lacks. A personal relationship with the divine. And I think, as we've seen here, we as a church have the responsibility of sharing this message with others as part of the three angels' message. Now, for me, when I first encountered this idea, this isn't uh, an original Christopher idea. When I encountered this idea, it completely blew my mind because I just thought, how easy is that? All I have to remember are two things. Worship one or, or oneism, twoism. Creation, creator. Paul made it very easy for us to understand. And if you're interested in pursuing the topic more, which I think is definitely worth your time, I'd recommend to you the, the person who created these terms, oneism, twoism, a uh, Christian man by the name of Peter Jones. Um, Peter Jones wrote uh, this book, The Other World View. Uh, which is incredibly useful. And I have a personal copy of the book. And if anyone is interested in reading it, uh, please come up to me. I'm happy to lend the book to you. And it'll be first in best dressed. If you're not much of a book type and you prefer listening to things, go into YouTube, type in Peter Jones Sermon, and it'll come up with all sorts of resources of his. And he also has a website called Truth Exchange, uh, which I frequently visit. So this is in a 
an original idea of mine. This is uh, me putting an Adventist flavor on the writings of uh, this very intelligent man. And um, so those are two possible resources. And one final one. We're all familiar with QR codes now, so you can use this one. This is a QR code that goes to... It'll take you to a personal uh, research project of mine I've been doing that gives a list of oneist religions and how, in fact, they are all... Uh, what are the, the natural traits of that oneism? Uh, the author of this book, Peter Jones, gives five traits of oneism. We only looked at one this morning. But if you're interested in learning the other four, all of them are listed there. Um, I can't say I've done a lot of work on the project. It takes a lot of time and uh, a lot of research to do it. But it's got the information there that gives you the framework to work with it. So if you're interested in pursuing this topic further, I highly recommend... Uh, that Peter Jones book, The Other World View, his website, Truth Exchange, or using the QR code here. As we talked about last time, idols or false gods never truly satisfy. Idols only ever lead to slavery to sin and ultimately result in that permanent and final judgment that we read about in Revelation. And yet we have a message that provides hope and says you can have a relationship with God who has provided eternal life for you. And now you're equipped to be able to take that message out into the world. Because as we've heard from Paul, there are only two worldviews. We worship the creator or the creation. And sadly, as we look outside these windows here, our world is obsessed with worshipping creation rather than the creator. And we, when we read of the horrible fate that awaits those who worship the beast in his image or any other created thing rather than God, it should stir in our hearts a desire to bring that message to other people, to bring the three angels' message to the world and let them know, fear God, give glory to him, for the hour of his judgment has come. Worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. We need to worship God as the creator. And that is the crux of Paul's message. It is the emphasis here of the three angels' message. And it is ultimately the message of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, to worship God as the creator.